Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. One election down with two or even three to go. That is the score as U.S. President Joe Biden gets used to sleeping above his new Oval Office. The political campaign in Israel heats up. Iran prepares its own presidential contest. And Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas also declares his decision to put his own position and his parliament up for a vote. This is certainly a time of transition, of choosing leaders, and of getting used to a mix of old and new faces. It is also the right moment to take stock and consider Israel's position vis-à-vis the Arab world, a task in which we will be helped by our first guest and only one for today from elsewhere here in Jerusalem, Dr. Nir Bombs, who is a research fellow at the Moshe Dayan Center, Tel Aviv University. Thank you for joining us. I'd like also to welcome our TV7 analyst, Mr. Amir Oren, and immediately dive into today's topic. Give us a broader understanding on uh, the relations between Israel and the Arab world within this new reality at hand. Well, Jonathan, with the hectic pace of events, um, the uh, new Biden administration seems quite old, even though it is only uh, uh, one week in office. Uh, but we have gotten used to it, and uh, Donald Trump is history. And the question is, uh, what sort of continuity will we see uh, in the uh, uh, Biden policy towards the Middle East? And as Israel looks at it, there are three sets of relationships uh, which it has vis-à-vis the Arab world. There is, first of all, the inner ring of Palestinians, that is those inhabiting the West Bank, the Palestinian Authority under Abbas, and the ones in Gaza uh, under the uh, rule of Hamas, of Yahya Sinwar. There are the uh, so-called confrontation states of old, of which only Syria and Lebanon remain with Egypt and Jordan um, quite old peace uh, countries, peace nations with Israel. And there is the uh, outer ring, the further ring, of Gulf states such as Saudi Arabia, the Emirates, Iraq, Iran, and uh, all of the rest. Now, what um, uh, Donald Trump and Prime Minister Netanyahu tried to do was bypass the old straight and narrow road to normalization with the Arab world through Uh, attempts to solve the Palestinian conflict. What they had tried to do was say, listen, leave that aside. We cannot solve it right now. Let's try and find another way, uh, another route uh, to uh, the Gulf and other places like Morocco and Sudan. We have to see whether uh, Biden will keep that policy in line. And we have seen only recently in the very closing days of the Trump administration, that from the point of view of the Department of Defense in the unified command plan, which delineates the jurisdictions of various theaters of war, Israel is no longer under UCOM, the European command, which is the American part of NATO, but rather now it is part of CENTCOM, Central Command, along with Egypt, Jordan, Iran, Iraq, and all of the rest. Whether this will have a practical side 
and whether, for instance, this will have an impact on the way the United States sees the Russian involvement in Syria, because Russia is under Yukon, Syria is under CENTCOM. How does Israel play into this? This will be a very interesting aspect to see as the Department of Defense and the Department of State uh, personnel shape up. Very interesting indeed. Of course, history tends to repeat itself, but we'll have to see uh, what is going to occur in the near future. Dr. Bombs, from one perspective, we can see that uh, many capitals have started steering their policies, at least uh, rhetoric-wise, and different aspects of activities are also occurring on the ground. But when we're looking on the Israeli and Arab world relationship, if you will, uh, you've had the opportunity to travel to various uh, Arab capitals in uh, recent weeks. And uh, what have you heard from their perspective to the current situation vis-a-vis Israel, but also uh, with regard to their positioning uh, vis-a-vis the, the Biden administration, which even though everybody predicts certain uh, things to unfold uh, within the, the boundaries of the Middle East, uh, nothing is quite yet sure as of yet. True. Uh, 2020, Jonathan, has been a very uh, interesting year. While uh, many of us have been stranded at our homes, uh, trying to uh, escape uh, the pandemic of uh, Corona, the Middle East have actually been uh, reorganizing in many ways and uh, creating a new axis. What had happened uh, in the last uh, few months of the year, and in many ways in the last few months of the Trump administration, uh, was uh, in many ways no uh, less than a revolution. And I'm talking about, of course, the Abraham Accords, uh, which is a framework for normalization and this is also a framework of a new axis built in the Middle East, in where uh, some of the uh, moderate uh, Arab states, the way we used to call them, but really a big part of the GCC is moving in a more assertive way, uh, away from a focus in the old Israeli-Palestinian uh, dynamic, uh, something, an issue we've discussed uh, quite often here as well, uh, and more toward a new era of uh, normalization, of changing relations in the Middle East, of together fighting radical axis, both from the Shia side and from the Sunni side, uh, by the way. And this is something that had uh, uh, come to a number of uh, Arab uh, capitals, and I certainly had a chance to listen to many of these voices, uh, these new voices, um, as I travel in the last uh, few weeks. And when it comes to the Biden administration, I think a lot of it was triggered partially, the timing of it, because there was a realization that there's going to be a change. And because there's going to be a change, uh, there was an attempt to stabilize, put some facts on the ground before there's going to be a change of administration. We've seen it in the Gulf, we've seen it in Africa, we've even seen it recently in Turkey, with the idea of starting on a certain uh, right foot uh, vis-a-vis the Biden administration that is expected um, to perhaps change some course, perhaps change some attention, or perhaps move to a direction uh, that uh, some of the GCC uh, countries uh, are, will not be necessarily happy about, mainly vis-a-vis the issue of Iran. Indeed. Mr. Oren, I'd like to actually touch base on uh, three close allies of uh, the state of Israel, uh, and that is the first one, Egypt. Uh, Egypt, of course, uh, uh, faced scrutinizing pressure uh, during the Obama administration when uh, President uh, Biden was still a VP of uh, uh, then-President Obama, uh, who 
to a certain degree even sanctioned Egypt and, and made the life uh, of uh, President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, who then uh, at the time uh, uh, committed a coup against uh, the president of the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, Muhammad Mulsi, uh, was uh, seen as, as uh, a person who utilized uh, uh, tactics that are not uh, seen in a good light uh, in the West for humanitarian reasons. But uh, uh, of course, uh, there, there are different countries in the region also that uh, Israel does not necessarily consider allies, but strategic partners underneath uh, uh, the, the uh, table. We were talking, of course, about Saudi Arabia, uh, which of course has uh, plenty of uh, uh, endeavors behind the scenes with Israel, but at the same time might not receive the favor necessarily from uh, a Biden administration, uh, which uh, uh, it attained during the Trump administration. And then uh, rather than an ally, I'd uh, have to term uh, Turkey a rival of Israel these days, uh, which uh, to say the least, uh, President Joe Biden was quite blunt about viewing Turkey as a destabilizing factor in the Middle East rather than uh, a contributor to, to stability. H how do you see all of this actually bring Israel to the forefront with various reports uh, behind the scenes uh, with regard to efforts by all those three nations to, to court Israel to a certain degree with regarding to Washington? Well, uh, Joseph R. Biden is a unique uh, person in American history because of his longevity in Washington. Um, there is no other case of uh, someone uh, coming to uh, the Capitol um, and serve in the Senate, especially in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and five decades later becoming president at the ripe old age of 78. Now, that has um, several uh, meanings and several consequences. First of all, Biden acts in a very responsible way, as if he knows that because of his age and health, he's fragile, he may be transitory, and he should make sure that even without him, the uh, administration will go on. And this is why he has brought into his administration very seasoned, very experienced officials and diplomats who usually were elevated from the uh, number three spot to number two and from number two to number one. You see it in the National Security Council, in the Department of State, in the Department of Defense, the CIA, and the other organs. And another aspect is that the Democratic Party is now very important in the decision-making process because um, during the primaries and as he garnered the votes in the election campaign to defeat an incumbent running for re-election, which was no mean feat. Um, uh, Donald Trump got uh, more than 70 million votes. Uh, it took a lot of effort on various wings of the Democratic Party to assure Biden his victory, of course, uh, in his race um, uh, for the White House and in the Senate. And therefore, he must uh, consider the views of the Democratic Party 
on human rights. You mentioned Egypt regarding human rights, human rights, civil rights, democracy around the world. And as uh, it pertains to the uh, Middle East, Saudi Arabia will obviously not fare as well under Biden as he did under Trump, because Trump had other considerations, arms sales, Iran, and all the rest. And if you look back a dozen years, when President Obama took office along with now President Biden, along with Hillary Clinton and the rest, their first move in the Middle East was to force Netanyahu, who came into office at the same time, to freeze settlements for 10 months. They wanted more, they wanted a year, he wanted less, but they may make it one of their main line um, of efforts, main lines of effort. So um, we are in, at least until after the Israeli elections, for a respite, because we don't know what sort of government will, uh, we will see in Jerusalem. Perhaps, hopefully, after two and a half years of instability, we are finally going to have a government. But what government it will be, what its policy uh, will be, when will the Israeli prime minister be first invited to Washington for a one-on-one -on -one with Biden? These are all going to be major events, but uh, they are not going to happen before late spring. Indeed. Nevertheless, uh, seasoned uh, uh, statesmen and, and politicians, and now, uh, of course, also CIA director, uh, used to serve the State Department for years. Uh, we're, we're looking about uh, several individuals in Washington who are in key positions, who have a long history of activities throughout the Middle East, and also uh, older perceptions to where, uh, to where the Middle East should head to, uh, to a certain degree. Uh, Dr. Bombs, to what degree and, and where do you see things heading now with the institution back in place, if you will, uh, in Washington? And how does the Arab world actually swallow such a change uh, from the more uh, radical new uh, uh, perception of the methods employed by a Trump administration? Well, one of the things we've seen in the recent months is that uh, the Arab world had stepped forward to put some facts on the ground in order to say there is a new axis and a new reality, perhaps, that will face the Biden administration. If you were to summarize at least one important dimension of this in relations to Israel and the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, is that if the old prism was to look at the Israeli uh, to look at the Middle East through the Israeli, the prism of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, part of what the new axis is doing exactly is the reverse. We are now looking at the Israeli-Palestinian conflict through a much broader prism of the Middle East that has many other issues, challenges, um, and problems. Uh, and therefore, the Arab world is saying to the new Biden administration, says, look, uh, there are serious issues here that we need to confront together. Um, the Israeli-Palestinian issue may not necessarily be the most important one, and if it is, then it needs to be uh, approached with the new approach that we had uh, created, the uh, approach that encouraged moderate forces, uh, moderate voices, normalization, uh, rather than supporting uh, what was uh, uh, under the Obama uh, administration appeared to have been uh, uh, credence to uh, more voices from the Muslim Brotherhood Network on the one hand and, and to the Iranian regime on the other. 
this is really the main message that uh, much of the Middle East is now given to the Biden administration, saying if we want to uh, approach and move forward, uh, you need to uh, at least adopt some of the uh, uh, perhaps Trump approach uh, that uh, for us has been somewhat constructive and enable us to move the Middle East into a different place. Whether that will work or not would create uh, additional conflict that is yet to be seen because the new administration that will deal with foreign policy indeed uh, comprised of many people who uh, are seasoned, who are veterans of the uh, Obama uh, administrations, but they also understand some of these new realities and they also understand uh, that uh, America's domestic uh, arena requires some attention and therefore not necessarily going to prioritize creating additional crisis points, but rather try to understand uh, what where the allies are and how can we move together, perhaps even recognizing that some of what had happened here, uh, although uh, it was triggered by a different administration, was not all entirely negative uh, and perhaps it can be built upon uh, in order to uh, advance some of the issues uh, that the Biden administration very much cares about, including the issue of Iran and including the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Indeed. Mr. Ogan, about the issue of Iran, the Biden administration has already indicated its will to re-enter uh, uh, JCPOA. Of course, nobody knows really into what form, uh, and it is not on priority number one. Uh, there are plenty of domestic uh, crisis, uh, if it is uh, the COVID issues, the, the economic ramifications thereof, and, and so much more. But if we're looking specifically about the whole issue that uh, pertains uh, to the Islamic Republic of Iran, uh, it seems that uh, there emerges one voice coming out from Jerusalem and Arab capitals about the fact that uh, there should be a, a new version of this uh, Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, of course, the technical term for the 2015 nuclear agreement. Do you see now this uh, becoming even more vocal towards Washington and saying, if you now uh, want to re-engage with Iran. How about you include your partners and allies in the region? The main difference between the old Obama administration and the Trump administration when it came in was that uh, Trump rejected what uh, he termed the uh, multilateralism of the Democrats uh, in uh, cooperating with uh, allies uh, to a degree which Trump uh, thought uh, was excessive and was detrimental to uh, pure American interests. Biden uh, is now harking back to the old multilateral approach uh, because, to his mind, this is uh, the more effective way to reach a global consensus and make sure that uh, agreements are both uh, reached and then implemented. And of course, the JCPOA was reached not bilaterally between Washington and Tehran, but between a group of nations plus the, the EU, Great Britain, France, Germany, China, Russia, and the United States. And all of them uh, have to cooperate in order to present a common approach to the Iranians regarding, first of all, the nuclear file, which is, of course, the core 
much like the reactor, is the core of the deal, but they also want to expand it to uh, the so-called malign activities of Iran, mostly the Quds Force, the what is happening uh, uh, in Syria, in Yemen, in Lebanon, and the ballistic missiles. And uh, therefore, Biden will have to negotiate, first of all, with his allies, with Israel, with some of the moderate Arab countries, and then with Iran. So it will have uh, to be a very, very complicated um, form of the diplomatic uh, art. Now, whether Israel uh, will uh, play a central role in it depends on what happens on the Iranian-Israeli front outside of the nuclear arena. In Syria, for instance, if there is a conflagration, if there is an incident arising out of what uh, Israel has been doing systematically, hitting Iranian targets and militias and proxies um, as far uh, east as the Iraqi border. And if the Houthis in Yemen or the Iranians in Western, in Eastern Iraq, bordering Iran, try to launch missiles or drones at Israel from these points, obviously Israel will not sit still. So Biden, even though he has an agenda of his own, he has the appointments, he has the impeachment, he has China and Russia and perhaps North Korea, uh, he would have preferred to uh, go to the Middle East uh, last, perhaps only in a few months. But it is not out of, it is not uh, his control um, uh, to decide. It is not his agenda because others have a vote, the Iranians, the Israelis, the Russians, and the rest. Dr. Bombs, Saudi Arabia, of course, is a big factor in the Middle East. To what degree do you see, after the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain, of course, have already uh, established normalized relations with uh, the state of Israel, uh, and in light of the fact that uh, uh, the Trump administration will not uh, uh, continue for another four years, but rather a Biden administration that is less favorable towards uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Do you see now uh, somewhat of an incentive for the Saudis to uh, establish some kind of an arrangement with uh, the Israelis, or will they wait for a different administration in Washington from which they would uh, probably get uh, uh, better terms to such an agreement? Well, predicting uh, four years into the future uh, is really uh, not an easy uh, exercise. Uh, what's important to, to note is that the Saudis have already moved. Um, in a way, they had to move, uh, particularly because they experienced a number of challenges of uh, their own, including uh, the uh, Khashoggi uh, affair. Uh, but the fact that uh, some of the other countries have moved, uh, particularly when it comes to Bahrain, uh, Saudi opened uh, its uh, airspace. Uh, we've seen uh, reports on a meeting that uh, most likely have happened uh, between the Israeli prime minister uh, and the, the Saudi de facto ruler, uh, Mohammed bin Salman. Uh, we understand that the Saudis have moved and already had went uh, forward and that much of this dynamic would not have happened without their uh, implicit blessing. Whether they would go completely, uh, it seems that they are waiting for the right moment and the right moment in where they, uh, as the Saudis, will be able to either gain something more significant for them or to come with a more symbolic presence uh, that uh, will enable them to say that they were able to do something that others have not have done. For example, uh, with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict or with uh, uh, the uh, Palestinian issue uh, 
particularly when it comes, let's say, to Jerusalem uh, or to another issue. Whether this will happen with Biden or whether it will happen with somebody else has to do with the evolving circumstances. And again, what else will be put on the table? Uh, in, the ta- in the context of the Trump administration, and there were some specific uh, carrots that were put uh, on the table uh, that enabled uh, to push, let's say, the UAE uh, and perhaps Bahrain to move uh, forward uh, a little faster. The Saudis don't necessarily need that at the moment, and they will wait for the right moment. Uh, but what they're interested in is making sure that the Middle East is moving in a certain direction. They're certainly very much concerned when it comes to Iran, and perhaps they will come to the administration <clears throat> as allies and say, well, look, we want to work with you. We want to continue, uh, and perhaps uh, perhaps you now, uh, and not the previous Trump administration, can be really the, the real peacemakers. So don't forget that uh, the Biden administration has some advantages. It has more credibility in European circles, with liberal circles. You may be able to bring others into the table and create what Trump had called a much better deal. And if uh, the idea of an Iran deal is not something uh, that the entire Middle East objects to, it depends on what is it that we're dealing with and what are we giving out and what are we negotiating. Um, if Iran gets everything it wants, um, then that's certainly not something that we want. But if we are able to, to reach an agreement that uh, deals with some of the fundamental issues and bring the region uh, uh, to, uh, to a better place, um, perhaps this is something that can be considered and even supported. Uh, we've just seen uh, the end of uh, uh, three and a half years of blockade uh, between Saudi Arabia and Qatar. Can it be that it's going to be an Iranian deal? Well, the Middle East have provided many, many surprises. Um, and I assume that the four years of the Biden administration will give us a few additional ones. I'm sure that uh, whatever deal uh, uh, is uh, brought about uh, between the international community and and, uh, Iran, so long as it stands within the constraints of uh, thwarting Iranian uh, entrenchment in various areas that could harm its neighbors because of its uh, revolutionary ideals uh, and, of course, uh, uh, its nuclear aspirations are mitigated, uh, I'm sure that in Jerusalem they wouldn't oppose such a deal. But, uh, Mr. Oren, we don't have very much time. Do you th- uh, see, and, y- and you mentioned this earlier, uh, the the fact that Israel was placed into uh, central command, uh, a, a reality in which Israel and the Arab world would now have somewhat of a framework to operate together in case of such an Iranian uh, threat uh, coming to bear? There is such a gap between the capabilities displayed by the Israeli Defense Forces and the other forces that it's uh, hardly imaginable. Of course, Israel may use bases there uh, to refuel, uh, to land, but it doesn't have uh, to fly with Emirati uh, planes um, uh, on a common sortie. But just one additional uh, detail. Uh, The law of unintended consequences. Because of the Trump... uh, peace vision, Israel has frozen its annexation plans. It turned out that uh, in order to get normalization with the Emirates and the others, Netanyahu announced that he is shelving his annexation. And this is all the time that we have for today, so I'd like to thank Dr. Neil Bombs for being with us today, as well as Mr. Amir Oren, and I'd like to thank our viewers as well, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. 
For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.